Konnichiwa. And howdy, y'all. I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie. And welcome to Sumo. Sumo Kaboom. Where we talk about all of things sumo. Yeah, that's right. And we have such an exciting episode for yeah. you today. We've been having a hard time keeping this under wraps. Can I preface this yes. by saying... This is the only episode we've recorded that has made my mascara run from laughing so hard. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> my glasses were fogging up. I felt like a total weirdo. We're not going to tell you who it is. Um, let's just I go. think at some point we should probably tell people. <laughs> yeah. Until then, let's go to a news flash. <laughs> so... You guys know about the whole hubbub with Rudin. Rudin went out for a total of 25 times from like January to March or something of this last year with the purpose of meeting women. And he was not supposed to be going out. It was prohibited. What's interesting to me, well, first off, Rudin comes from the same stable where they had massive breakouts and Shobushi was one of his stable mates. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And his Oyakata had pneumonia, you know. So when you think about, you know, someone making a decision to kind of break quarantine to go meet with his lady friend, it's kind of really irresponsible. So, Another thing that's interesting to me is that, I don't know if it's Japanese translation, they have repeatedly reported, and the JSA has said it as well, he went out to meet with a woman who's not his wife. And I was like, I don't know if that's anybody's information to give, but they have all stated it. And he said, I am very sorry. I regret it. It's a weird one. You know, I wasn't comfortable putting this on the episode last week just because it seemed like tabloid gossip. And then surprisingly, it started to come out in Nikon Sports and more reputable places. Yeah, so, like the garbage trash mag that yeah, yeah. Would, like had all kinds of salacious. Is that the right word? Salacious yeah, details? yeah. Yeah. And and we like to wait until, you know, things are acknowledged as real news before we put the stuff out yeah, there. Yeah, I just wanted last week to just do uh imagine like uh like a fan fiction of like what he was actually doing. Yeah. But we didn't get that far. But anyway, <laughs> he um he's in the doghouse. So he has, I think, three tournaments he's gonna be out of the mix, and then he'll probably come in below Makushida and his stable master got a twenty percent reduction in his pay for six months. So they aren't messing around with this. Yeah. Maybe Makes me wonder what they're going to do with Asanoyama yeah. and his whole, his whole uh, fajuzuma jazzle. Yeah. I just made up that word. I like it. Fajuzuma jazzle. Yeah, because his seems worse. Yeah. Well, I don't know what. I don't know. I mean, they're both they're both in the doghouse. They are. But I mean, then they're both are they not be, following rules. I know. Are they both going to be like, well, we like Asanoyama better. He has like better but, chances. But he's an Ozeki. I know. We've got high standards in sumo. I guess. Oh, man. Could you imagine American sports? I mean, these guys go out all the time to meet the ladies. And we're just like, well, whatever. He gave the whole team COVID. Well, I hope he's back on the court soon. I do like these standards <laughs> that sumo upholds, though. I have to say. Uh, well, but it's not realistic. They're regular, normal people. They're sexual beings. <laughs> we have to admit that. They got to get out and get some. Anyway, that is not news. Yeah. I'm <laughs> just going to leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Okay, some sad news. Azumazeki stable is officially closing. I We may have mentioned this before, or we may not. But anyway, this stable was founded by the first foreign-born wrestler, Takamiyama. 
This is the great stable that gave us Akebono and Takamisakari, but it just couldn't hang on and they couldn't find the right successor. And so when one stable door closes, another stable door opens. So Ariso is opening his new stable officially August 1st, which great. is super exciting. Yeah, that is And good. he is taking with him four wrestlers from Taganora stable and a Makushida Gyoji. And so this is an exciting development. I think he will be an incredible asset for the JSA especially with his dedication to education and you know, he wrote that thesis that none of us read, but we know it was amazing about running a stable for his, I don't know, his master's thesis. I don't know what the guy was doing, but he was dedicating his life towards being prepared and ready to run a stable. So the time is nigh. And he wants to also bring the culture of sumo back to kind of his hometown and, you know, bring sumo back to the community a little bit more. So Shall we get to, I'm still not going to say his name. Let's get to the meat of this podcast. Okay. Well, let's this... get to the, let's chew on the meat of this funny podcast. Okay. Well, this guy, he doesn't really need an intro, but I'm going to give you one. If you do not know who he is, he's like the gateway drug for all of us English-speaking fans into the sport of sumo. He has a lovely Irish lilt and a keen and insightful take on sumo. Yes. He currently commentates for NHK. He writes articles about sumo for the Japan Times. He works tirelessly running Inside Sports Japan, covering football, rugby, women's sports, parasports, and like so much more. This guy does so much. He is a real mover and shaker in the sports media world. John Gunning has the pulse of the sport of sumo at his fingertips. Can you have a pulse and a fingertip? Absolutely. I I think you can, yeah. But he's so much more than that. He is devilishly funny. And y'all, I just provided the laugh track to this interview. (laughs) That was really my purpose in this whole interview that you're about to listen to. Okay, so we know that you all want to hear about sumo, but we also hope you'll enjoy the many other facets of John Gunning, from his childhood to his early music career moving to Japan, sumo wrestling, and then his transition from there to sports journalism and commentating. We had an absolute friggin' blast talking with him with this week. Yeah. If you've ever wondered what this guy's really like, this, this is, is the it. episode for you. Yeah. We really yep. hope you're going to love listening to this. So by the way, this interview is a bit truncated. We talked to him for a long time because we were just having a complete blast. You can still subscribe to our YouTube channel, Sumo Kaboom at YouTube. How does it work? You sumo, Yeah, just search just for us, fine. Sumo Kaboom on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know how YouTube yeah. works. You can find the full interview there along with the other interviews that we have like Konishki. You don't want to miss out on that too. So here is... John Gunning. Thank you so much for being here, John. By the way, I've always called you John Gunning, like that's your full name. So please, it is your full name, but like, do you find other people just call you John Gunning or John? No, that's the first person that's ever said that. <laughs> All right, great. That's solidifies <laughs> what a weirdo I am. Let's just talk first off about, I know, I'm I like turning red. I, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Like I, I actually... I actually had a teacher, uh, an Irish language teacher when I was in school. Uh, I hated studying languages when I was in school. It's kind of strange because now I Look speak. Look at you now. Yeah, but uh, every other student in the class, she referred to by their first name, you know, Jim, Bill, Mary, Adrian, whatever. I was John Gunning. 
like every single time that was like that's how much she hated me she used my full name every single time she spoke to me i kept saying that irish was a dead language and there was no point studying it so that probably you know didn't go down so well with an irish language teacher i thought maybe we would start first because mm. everyone wants to know about sumo i'm sorry okay um okay your thoughts about this last boss show watching from afar what do you think about ted and fuji because i know you're friends with them where is he mentally and on this Yokozuna run, um, yeah. You can see that he's a lot more, I would say, reserved or his demeanor has settled down a lot. I mean, partly it's obviously getting older. You know, when he, when he came in, he was still basically a teenager. It's the same you see with a lot of professional athletes. You have to consider that most of the people who are in the Premier League or the NFL or these leagues, they're still young men in their late teens, early 20s. You know, so it's it's all emotion and it's all testosterone and it's all highs and lows and every good thing or bad thing that's written about them in the newspaper, you know, sends them sky high or into the depths of, you know, despair or whatever. So once they get into their late 20s, early 30s and they're more accustomed to it and they've been through the highs and lows, then, yeah, they learn like a lot of people to deal with things and, you know, to to not let external stuff affect them as much. So he's obviously very happy, but it's like he said, you know, if he becomes Yokozuna or he doesn't. Either way, he'll still be, you know, satisfied to himself. Whereas like someone who's younger, you know, making it to the top might be the be all or the end all. You know, there's no second option or there's no other choice for younger athletes. But uh, yeah, for someone in his position, especially someone who's fallen down so far and then fought their way back, you're not going to be that affected by good or bad. You know, you try and keep an even keel, I reckon. His skill just kind of blows me away. And I, I think I just wonder behind the scenes, what's been his biggest help to get him there? Mm, so when he came in first, he was very, very talented and very, very strong. But within a short period of time, even when he was still in Magaki stable, it was very obvious that he had a huge future ahead of him, that he had massive potential. So his first time in Makuchi when he was coming up through the ranks and, and getting up near the top and when he won his first Yusho. At that stage, when Hako was still maybe not in his prime, but not far off it, it was clear that Terno Fuji was the second best Rikishi in the division. And he was coming up on Hako's level and able to, you know, match him in individual bouts. So his natural skill and size and ability and, and what he had makes him a Yokozuna level Rikishi. So it was more about overcoming, you know, the injuries, basically the injuries and, and the illnesses and, and the various knocks that he had. So he, he always could have been a Yokozuna, but maybe the mental side of the game, and it goes back a little bit to what I said earlier, the ability to overcome, uh, overcome stuff. And, you know, it's been widely reported and everyone knows that he tried to quit numerous times and uh, the Oyakata wouldn't let him. And yeah, I, I think I wrote a couple of months ago in one of the columns that two, three years ago when I was watching him like struggle to beat these journeymen down in the lower divisions, it was painful, you know, it was, it was painful to watch. And I didn't even know why he was still bothering to continue. But obviously he had the same feelings himself. He thought he was done and it was over. But the thing with that about the quitting and the Oyakata, he can still quit if he wants, you know. I mean, the Oyakata said no, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's his decision if he wants to leave Sumo. So he allowed himself not to be allowed to quit, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, he obviously he used that and he respected his stable master and his stable master's opinion. So but I mean, if he went to him five times, as reported, then, you know, he went through a lot. Like he, he reached a point where he thought that's enough, at least on five occasions. 
you know, his wife, I think the first time I met her she was about 2015. I think they were together about a year then, year two, maybe. So they've been together a while. So she's obviously helped him through a lot of that. And, you know, that settles down a lot of people as well. You know, when they have somebody there supporting them and, and you know, helping them through the tough times when they can go home and it's not just the four walls or you know, friends or something, when it's something a little bit more meaningful in terms of a relationship, that's obviously a big help. Oh, that's nice. Well, I'm, I'm glad he is where he is. He's just made mm. Sumo so exciting. And I'm so excited about his future. How have you gotten to know Terada Fuji? Like, when did you guys meet? When I was living in Ryogoku, there were three stables probably within two minutes of my front door. There was Magaki, Hanakago, and uh, what was um, um, yeah, you know, Hako's place was very close as well at that time. They've since moved, but Magaki was the closest, and I used to go in there a lot and I got to know all the rickshaw. And when you live in Ryogoku, it's part of Tokyo, but it's a downtown kind of feeling, so you're you get to know a lot of your neighbors and friends, and you meet people in like the supermarket or the bank or whatever. So I was meeting Rikshi every single day. Like every time I went to the convenience store, I would, especially because I was living right next to the stable. So I became really close with a lot of the Magaki guys. And then I was just in there all the time, like, you know, and 2010, December, maybe it was, uh, Terno Fuji graduated high school. So he was in the high school at the other end of Japan. He was in Totori. It's way out in West Japan. It's this, it's where Ishiura's father is the coach and Ishiura and Ichi. So Terno Fuji came over from Mongolia with Ichinojo and with, uh, he was a year behind the guy who's now Mitoru in Jiryo. Okay. And there was one or two other Mongolians. So they came over to high school in Japan. And uh, I think Hakuho arranged that maybe, or he helped arrange it. But there's a lot of Mongolian connections in that high school. So they were in high school. And when he graduated high school, Hakuho helped him to come into Magaki stable. A couple of months before he joined Sumo, I mean, I was meeting him every day before he officially joined Sumo. So we got kind of close because he was young and he, he still didn't really speak Japanese all that well at that time. And then a year later, I helped bring an Egyptian into Sumo, Osunarashi. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, so I was involved with that and we were using Magaki stable and then just uh, because those two are very similar in age and because I'm kind of immature enough to be similar in age to them um, <laughs> we kind of hung out a lot but yeah Terno Fuji the first three or four years of his career so he didn't really know anyone at that stable didn't allow them to go out that much so I, I used to hang out with him a lot like we'd go to the cinema like he had no money as well so you know I was handy because I had money. <laughs> so, um, you know. But uh, yeah, no, we had we had a good time. So then obviously what always happens then is like when somebody becomes, you know, famous and rises up the ranks, then you have a million people pulling at them and a million different things they have to do. So yeah. you can never spend as much time. I always think it's funny you know, when, you, when they're young and, and not famous, their free time is all their own and they can meet and everything. And then they become really famous and like they have no time for the little people and then when they fall down again it's like hey how you doing you know i don't have i don't have everyone calling me and every tv station asking for interviews so hey you want to hang out <laughs> but you know that's just the way it goes okay well really important question here then about terna fuji is it true that he beat box as well i've seen oh uh, yeah there's videos of him and tommy sakai doing that that was kind of more Tommy Sakai. But yeah, the two of them used to do it. I think they even did it on a few TV shows, stuff like that. Did together. they really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were, I mean, for Rikishi, they were good, you know. But they're not, <laughs> not going to get a record deal out of it. You know? you know, all the guys in the 70s and 80s, there were so many albums they used to bring out, even when they were active Rikishi. 
Masuyama, I think, was like four albums in the charts at one stage when he was still Makuchi, and then the Kyokai put a stop to it. Oh, that's such a shame. They put a stop to it. Yeah, he was making all this money, and he was being like he was a famous singer with albums out at the same time as he was a rikishi, and you know, I don't know what the official reason was, but you know, he put a few noses out of joint. People didn't like it, so. Um, that's too bad because they could make a whole sumo album you could be on it like several takiyasu could be on it like, yeah takiyasu several people voice. could do well. i could be on it i yes, could be on yes. it you could be on it i mean we know you were in a, a band called libido 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 which you that's must it. talk about can we go there next yeah i think we could always come back to sumo but yeah yes. i think it's pretty important that um, our listeners know about this band called libido yes libido, yeah libido was uh a group i mean we had it all really we had the look we had the hair we had the you know world domination desire we had the only thing we didn't really have was any kind of musical ability <laughs> so like if, if we were good at music or we could play instruments properly or we were in tune i think we would have gone a long way to be honest with you but uh just, what instrument you know. did you play yeah we were okay. i was a lead singer yeah. Okay, yeah but i had i had everything i had that whole rock star thing going I was like Bono without the voice, if you know what I mean. Yes, um, that's good. But okay, we, at the very least, can, can we get you a picture? A picture, or can you yeah. at least describe what your hair was like at this phase? Was it mullet like? <laughs> All I know is that band title must have been such a chick magnet. You would think, but sadly, no. It was a dark chapter of the history, you know? Yeah, as far as uh, karaoke songs that you crush it at, what's your number one karaoke song? I like to do a death metal version of Hit Me One More Time by Britney Spears. <laughs> just, just, just for the shock value. To be honest with you, even though I was a lead singer, it was all about, you know, front. It was, there was, there's nothing here. Like there's, there's no musical ability. So you're I can't all, sing, but I can, I, can, I can make a loud noise. And if I do it in a... Um, a death metal type thing and especially if it's britney spears because when you put it on <laughs> nobody ever expects it to come out like that for shock value it's 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 a party piece for sure you know that is true so were you a poet at about the same time as well, libido or was that before did you think we weren't going to look into all this of course we looked into your poet history That's the worst part of having a twitter account people read it yeah people do <laughs> supposed to be a diary you're not supposed to read the tweets you know yeah, poetry and songwriting and all that stuff. The most cliched teen angst-ridden poetry you could possibly imagine. If you doubled it, that was that was me, you know, from the country. I was a goth, you know, pure head, the whole lot. So I mean, if you take words like raven, dark, rain, cave, and stuff like that, and just threw them into a computer program and mix them up, you'd probably get, you know, most of the songs that I wrote. Please tell me you were wearing eyeliner. I and... did wear, I wore eyeliner. I had piercings. What was your go-to color? Wait, did you what? go black? Black, 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 black. black. Okay. There were only two colors that were really acceptable in the 80s. They were like black and deep purple, maybe, you know, was was okay. But <laughs> Of course, um, of course. For me, yeah. it was black and like all whites, the high top basketball shoes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. Robert Smith look, you know, unlaced, which led to, you know, several accidents. But, you know, you had to do these things. I used to do the eyeliner when it would come out at the edge and then I would do the Celtic three swirl knot, you know. What? I never knew this was a I, thing. When I was 14, I pierced both ears and I was by, wearing... Wait, by your, did you do it? Uh, no, I went to Dublin secretly and got somebody to do it because there was nobody obviously where I lived. And I got 
I think it was my mother or my grandmother's like these long gold leaf earrings. Yes. And I wore them into school and I refused to take them off. And then I was like, I was getting sent to the principal's office every single day because I would refuse to not wear makeup or earrings, you know. And it was like 1970s, 80s, rural Ireland, you know. Um, and then you just grew out of the face? I evolved. Like Madonna, I kept changing and, you know, to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. As you do. Uh, I'm still dying to know what happened in between libido and moving to Japan. Oh, yeah. Because that's a pretty big leap. So I was, yeah, I was like, I was in college. I did, well, I was actually a university student at the time. So I spent a year in the States at a university there, but I was also working full time for this rehabilitation center. And actually, while I was in college in Keene State, which is a college in New Hampshire, Robin Williams filmed Jumanji and TriStar Pictures came in and I was in an acting class in the university there. And I won a role as like a, this tiny minor role or as like maybe an extra or like one line speaking role, but I couldn't do it because I was working. So I missed out on Jumanji. Oh, I thought you were about to tell me you, you were in Jumanji. I, I, missed, I, I missed out on all these great films. Like so Braveheart, when they filmed Braveheart, all the guys behind Mel Gibson are my unit in the Irish Reserve Army. So before they filmed Braveheart, they asked us, do we want to be part of this movie in the summer? You know, we were in, uh, when we were on camp in, the, in the, the military. So they said, oh, you know, once this camp is over, like there's an extra two or three weeks of this movie is being made and you can get paid this much money. And I think I had like a new girlfriend or something at the time, or I just didn't want to like, I didn't want to give up my free time. And I was like, oh, fuck that. I'm a movie to hell. And then she like, you know. really great. This I can't even remember her name at this stage, to be honest. I think it was like a one, a one week thing. Oh. And then like a year later or two Should years later, whenever it was, I was in the States. I remember like when Braveheart came out and I was like, oh, the guys behind Mel Gibson, I recognized them. And I was like. So is, no, do you I remember didn't. what line it was in Jumanji? Like if we go back oh, and watch God, Jumanji, no, it's no. like that guy's line. I think it was more like an ah or something like that, you know? It was just like, I, I, calling it a line now might be a bit of a stretch, you know? It was more of a scream, I think, really. Okay. You know? So you had several <laughs> close misses in Hollywood. What was it about Japan that just really hooked you? Oh, it's a cliche thing. You know, everything is so similar, but so different and everything is new. And I'm always like, you can probably see like for all the different stuff I do. So I love new things, new experiences, new people, anything new or different. Something that I haven't done is, is always very, very attractive. And this was like nowhere I'd never, ever been before, even though I'd like traveled around lots of countries and lived in different places. But this was definitely something different. And I just loved it. I loved everything about it. And just, yeah, while I was here, I decided I'm, I'm going to move here. As soon as I went back, like literally the day after I came back, I quit my job, uh, sold anything I had, and then just started like job hunting in Japan. But because I didn't speak, I spoke four words of Japanese at the time. I had no connections in the country. I didn't know anything about Japan. Uh, teaching English obviously was one of the only options for Japan, but I'd, I'd never thought, but I was like, yeah, you know. Why not give that a go? So, yeah, I was in Osaka. So Kansai was my first three years there. And then up to Tokyo, working with a company up here. In Osaka, that's where you saw your first sumo tournament, right? Or what was that experience like seeing sumo for the first time? Yeah, so I was in Osaka and the Osaka tournament came. And once you're there, it's like the sights and the smells and the rickshaw walking past you. And, you know, it just absolutely hooked, you know. Um, I tried to say one time on NHK that it's like cocaine or it's like heroin or something, but they wouldn't let me say that. So, you know, (laughs) 
but you can say that here. You can. I can say you that here. I'm not saying that I've tried cocaine or heroin. In your goth days. No, I'm sure not. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, from what I've heard, yes. Um, you know, sumo has an addictive quality that would be similar to class A drugs. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so <laughs> I do have a question about your sumo career in Go Japan. And, and you're, you know, you're, you're quite amazing amateur sumo career. Yeah, he started at 30. Yeah. Um, no, 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 you're right. Not just the, the, the use of the adjective amazing. I think that's the first time I've ever actually heard that used in, in you know, connection with my amateur sumo career. Well, you go to I've heard a lot of adjectives. I've heard a lot of adjectives used to describe my amateur sumo career, but amazing, that's definitely a first, you know. <laughs> yeah, so the world championships is done on nation by nation state. You know, I mean, there's obviously there's individual categories and there's team tournaments, but it's like judo or any other thing. There's national teams, so... Um, yeah, there's nobody else in Ireland at the time doing sumo or nobody else Irish. So it was very, you were the team. very easy to yeah. make the team. Yeah, at the beginning, I was like, right, I'm the team. He's the shoe-in. Yeah. <laughs> While competing as the one and only member of the Irish sumo team, yes, right. three sumo world championships, 2007, 2008, and 2012, right? Mm. Correct. Okay. And then after that, at some point, you broke your upper Just arm bone fucking destroyed lengthwise it. no that was no. before the world championships before. before that injury happened late 2005 so i was out of action all of 2006 and half of 2007 so okay so you had that injury pulled yourself back together and then went on to the sumo world, world championships Champions. okay yes. so my question is how does one even break their humerus lengthwise like yeah. that is incredible to me. What was it a throw? Was it the way you landed? I was in training in training fights and the night before I think I'd been out partying. So I wasn't like in, in the best of condition. And I think I went straight from the club to training to be honest with you. So I wasn't doing things that well and I wasn't doing them the way you should be doing. So in Yotsu, like when you have the shtate, the, the one hand underneath and on the back of the mawashi. So that's what yeah. I had. I, my left in under his right, holding the back of the mawashi and he had water, the overarm grip where his yeah. right was over my left. So like, you know, it's like, that. Usually, you know, we see like two guys trying to throw each other. Yeah. And, but I was not in close enough. Normally you want to be in close because you want to get the angle and the leverage. Um, but I was, I was doing it haphazardly because, you know, I was still hung over and I wasn't focused. So I was out far. So my arm was stretched out like that and his whole weight went down on my arm and it split the bone lengthways. And my arm bent backwards up because it broke. And then my head went straight into the doyo. Yeah, it was pretty painful. So like I was, um, yeah, I was there screaming in pain under in the ring. Cause I'd never actually, that was the, I think it was the first major bone I'd ever broken. So I didn't really know what was happening. Just had this massive, it's like somebody get a big branch and break it, you know, that big crack yeah, noise. Yeah. And um, obviously I got a concussion as well when I hit my head so hard and they had to come in. I couldn't like, they couldn't even get me off the ring. So like the ambulance had to come in and it was a basement doyo so that come down with the stretcher and, and rolled me onto the stretcher in the mawashi and um <laughs> it's like i went to the hospital and in the ambulance and they had I, I was losing hearing and sight so my hearing and my sight kept going in and out so i couldn't see anything and i couldn't hear anything for for a few minutes 
And so they had to do an MRI on my brain to see if there was bleeding on the brain or whatever. And they couldn't do it because there was so much sand in my ears and hair from the ring. So like it was interfering. So like I've nurse and like trying to hose out my ears. And I, I mean, I, it was funny because I was laughing at the stu- at the ridiculousness of the situation, even though like, you know, my arm was hanging off at the shoulder and like, you know, I couldn't hear anything, but I couldn't stop. I was like crying. I don't know, I was crying in pain and laughter at the whole lot. Like, but eventually they got it. And so, I mean, I could have gotten all, you know, like 15 pins and bolts and everything to stick it all back together. But I had this brilliant uh, doctor and he said, you know, if you, if you put it in a gravity cast, it will... It will take like a year and a half, but the bone will fuse back together by itself. That means you don't have the risk of surgery. You won't have to miss any work. You won't have a hospital stay. I couldn't actually move my arm for four months because all the nerves were severed as well. So they didn't know if I would actually get movement back in this arm. So this arm was tied to my body. That was fine. But then like after four months, I was able to move the finger. So I knew like the nerves had reconnected. So at least I would have some range of motion back. I took about 18 months for the bones to fuse back together but because they were just done it by gravity like the bone shape is now weird it's like one of those 1970s sesame street type illustrations you know it goes in all weird angles but um that yeah then rehab and eventually i got full range of motion back and then i went back doing sumo again and all the people who had supported me told me fuck you you're on your own for doing this again you know um oh. i had I, that's 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 not true but i had a lot of people that like literally were like after everything that happened you're actually going to go back in and fight again <laughs> i'm and sure so when i showed up the first like them when i had the cast from shoulder to wrist like the the injury and i went in and i said you know i'm still alive i'll be back in a year and a half i'm body mask all the rest and they're just like you want to do some squats? <laughs> Look at me. I can, my, the bones are floating around and like, you know, every movement is agony. Like, well, there's nothing wrong with your legs. So, you know, go do some squats. So I did. And then I kept, so actually I didn't leave training. I, I would get some people to put them on washi on me. And then I would just like do squats and leg stuff with the cast for the first like year, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But you know, that goes back to what I said when you're earlier, when you're young, you just have no sense at all. So, you know. Uh, for some of us, we never get concussions, it. though. You definitely, though, I've read in your articles, have talked about CTE as far as the sumo world goes mm-hmm. and some of the terrible, you know, catastrophic injuries that have happened as of late. Do you mm. feel that the JSA or the community at large has the spirit more that's like that is how it is? Or do you feel that there's been a change or a shift? Or do they even hear the international fan base saying, Hey, take care of these wrestlers a little better. Like, what's your what's your take on all of that? Well, first of all, there's no the one thing people have to realize: the sumo association is not a monolith, right? It's mm-hmm. not a single thing. It's got whatever a thousand members of Rikishi, Oyakata, all the rest. So you got a lot of people who have a lot of differing views, and and they cover the entire range of the spectrum. So uh yeah the machismo mindset is still there obviously for a lot and also it just the whole ct issue the concussion issue hasn't reached japan yet not among the general public we'll say obviously some people know it but among among general sports fans or people in the sport you know so it's not really it hasn't seeped into the public consciousness or the jsa consciousness i think i think more obviously in recent times because in very recent times it's become an issue and it's become a bit more known 
but I've been banging on about this on live broadcast for 10 years, you know, but I knew it would take time. It takes time for anything like that to, in any country to seep in properly. And yeah, hopefully it will improve over the years, but it's not soon enough. You know, a lot needs to be done and a lot needs to be done quickly, but uh, I wouldn't hold out hope of that happening, you know. Japan is obviously a consensus-based culture. Generally, everyone has to be consulted and everyone has to give their feedback. So as a culture, things move slowly anyway. That's just by design because it's a, yeah, it's not an individualistic-based society. It's a group-based society. And so it's important for the way things work that everyone is on board before action is made. But then the other one with the rules in football or rugby or any other sport is you have lots that you can change. In football, you can improve the helmets. You can change the way people tackle. You can change the rules. Same in rugby. You know, they don't give any wiggle room whatsoever in rugby. You know, it's like any contact with the head or neck, you're off. That's it. But in sumo, there's no equipment to modify. And sumo is essentially, as I often say, compared to line play in American football, right? You've got two people at very close range and they're banging into each other. And so like they're coming in the low man, as they say in football, like trying to get their pad level lower. So like basically you're trying to get in underneath. So both people are trying to get the heads down, you know, so put your head up like this. It's, you know, it's a guaranteed loss. So the difficulty is what do you change in sumo? And I mean, I've said like going back to the 1970s style Tachiai, where they were basically at standing starts. Mm -hmm. That's about the only thing really that I could think of that would limit the number. I mean, you're still going to get head contact during the fight and you'll still get it maybe in training and stuff like that but it would definitely lessen those massive coconut type cracks that you hear and that you see even in like three four-year-old kids doing in in sumo and being encouraged by the parents which is the worst this is the thing everyone is saying you know you need better stuff at ringside you need better immediate care but you know for head injury prevention is obviously better there's no cure as such so you, you really need better prevention so 1970s style touchy eye maybe it'd be one thing if people have other suggestions maybe it'd be good but it's hard to think of what can be modified sumo doesn't really have a lot of room to modify anything among some of the older wrestlers that are there do you feel like this is a problem that's not being addressed or do you feel like that people are being diagnosed with this or is this being talked i don't about think people all? are being diagnosed with it because i don't think it's an issue that is widely known still mm -hmm. i think it might change in the near future obviously as a lay person who without a medical degree diagnosing people at sight is you know ridiculous in the extreme but from what i've read and seen of football players older football players and the signs and symptoms and some of the behavioral traits of people who were subsequently found to have cte when when autopsies were performed you can see a lot of the similar things in some of the older wrestlers retired like the oyakata and stuff like that that the wild sudden mood swings or the complete loss of like train of thought or i mean obviously there are age-related things that happen to everyone and you, there could be a, a million different reasons for stuff but knowing what i know about football and rugby and how it's affected people in the past i i feel like i see similar stuff in sumo it's good to talk to you about that because on the outside we we do wonder what goes on in the inside and you have a pulse of what goes on and we care about the wrestlers and we care and we want to see them taken care of because we're their fans, whether they're yeah. retired or not. So thank you for speaking to that. Um, no I want to shift gears. Uh, we've alluded several times to all the different media that you have yeah. your fingers in. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I mean, people who listen to us are going to mm -hmm. know you from NHK. 
Okay. Um, so I've, I thought this might be a really good time for you to talk about all the different things you do from uh, Inside Sports Sport Japan. Japan. Um, like maybe you could give an overview of uh, uh, just, just what you do in sports media. So I work, I'm not an employee of NHK. I do the live broadcasts. I'm a color commentator on that. Uh, but we haven't done that since last March, obviously, because of Corona. They can't have lots of people in the booths because the booths, TV booths are sealed environments, obviously soundproof. So, um, you know, the air is <laughs> you're in a small booth with a couple other people and the air is the, it's like, being, you know, trapped on a small airplane or something like that. So it's it's just too risky. So um, NHK World, then, which is the global arm of NHK. We do the Grand Sumo preview, Grand Sumo review sometimes. So that goes out to, I think it's like 168 countries or something like that. So I'm one of the presenters on that. Uh, I'll be back for that in July. I was off in March and May. And Japan Times, I guess that's USA Today, maybe version, you know. Um, Inside Sport Japan is my own media company that I set up about four years ago, but we, it's a small media company. I basically set that up to cover uh, sports that don't get a lot of exposure, women's sports, para sports, stuff like that. Things that are great stories, things like that. We covered a lot of uh, gridiron, American football, rugby, uh, various other bits and pieces as well. Mostly nowadays, it's just football, rugby, and sumo and stuff like that. But, uh, and then I do a lot of other stuff as well in various the, uh, the band you're talking about the band libido <laughs> not the band no the, the musical <laughs> career is long dead you know what about photography are you talking about photography oh, oh yeah yeah i do i'm a professional sports photographer as well so i'm on the sidelines like for the rugby world cup or you know this um, is how you I'm only hoping... get two hours of sleep you do all of the rest of this in the other yeah. 22 hours that's amazing i'm actually hopeful with everything you know opening up and changing over there so i'm hoping to be over for some nfl games shooting those um this oh, season because now the bears have finally got a quarterback and aaron Rodgers is leaving so it'll be great to see all that stuff <laughs> at what point did you add photography to your arsenal Oh, I've had a camera in my hand since I was six years old. So um, oh. but as a professional sports photographer, uh, like doing that, like at a high level, like, yeah. you know, international tournaments, uh, that's probably just like the last 10, 12 years, 15 years, something like that. Okay. Um, but I mean, I was always, I was always involved in photography and taking pictures and um, all the way since I was a kid, I, my, I had my first camera at six. So doing proper world-class Sports photography, probably about 10, 12 years, I guess. Can we do some silly rapid fire questions? Um, sure. Okay. Some are going to be about you and some are going to be about sumo because people care about sumo. Let's give okay. let's give the people what they want. Okay, yeah, right. I can see there's going to be a lot of like fast forwording through this episode of people like, we're, we're going to have to like timestamp the sumo parts, you know, They're like people are not tuning in. People are not tuning in to hear about goths in the 80s. I can guarantee Our that. listeners will. Okay, first question is, what's the weirdest fan thing that's ever happened to you? I've had like one stalker 
persistent for the last 15 years that's like you know called up your company trying to get you fired you know calling immigration trying to get you fired kicked out of the country do you think that uh, has to do with remember that girl that you dated for like a week during Braveheart? No. do you think it was possibly <laughs> his girlfriend I thought stalkers liked you not that stalkers tried to get you fired stalkers come no. in all shapes and sizes yeah, yeah yeah you get all types you know but this stalker is no longer in japan so like now they're just limited to like pot shots on the internet and can be blocked so you know it's fine Good. okay biggest sumo sumo prankster and funny guy asahi shio do you know asashio. him no asashio uh, asashio asahi shio asahashio so he was very funny uh konishiki obviously is you know hilarious um in terms of pranksters the most famous one probably now would be abby right yeah you know, i people up and and uh, <laughs> yes um okay. okay my turn your turn <laughs> i get excited okay. i know we often hear about mm. how much sumo hurts about how hard it is to train for all that kind of stuff but mm. uh what feels good about it you were a sumo wrestler so surviving it so is that the only thing that feels good so surviving every single time when i was active when i went to training i had this like fear in the pit of my stomach so it was just like you can't eat before training, not only because it will come up immediately, but just because it's you have this knot in your stomach when you're going to do real sumo training in Japan with like ex-pros or current pros. And you, my heart enlarged from sumo training just to pump enough blood. So I, I had an enlarged heart when I was doing sumo just because the stress of training is so intense. And there were so many times when I was doing sumo that like, you know, you can't just get this red mist and you can't see anything and you think your heart is going to explode in your chest and you think you're going to die. And then the best thing in is when you're walking home afterwards, I, I think I may have said this before, but it's like somebody shot at you and missed, you know, it's like, I'm still alive. I, you know, the flowers smell better. The sky is bluer like that, that post training feeling like obviously you're limping home, battered and bruised and you're in pain, but just like you always have a new appreciation for life after sumo training. That's what I find anyway. You know? Okay. Follow up question. Have you ever been shot at? Next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll ask a real question. Um, mm. Takami Sakari. Mm. What's he like? Like, is he exactly like, the same? Would imagine. Exa yes. 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 That is like, that makes me so happy because I love him. Okay. How do you relax? Relax. Yeah. Um, you know that I'm thing. I'm relaxed. I'm not, I'm like, you know, being, being on the edge of the wave, surfing, like the insanity where everything, like, you know, you're spinning plates while you're on a roller coaster. That's relaxing for me. The idea of going to a tropical island and lying on a beach stresses me out. So my work is, you know, what I like doing. So I don't need to create hobbies and stuff like that. Like usually my hobbies are all what I'm doing for work anyway. So, you know, I'll never get past the thrill of like, I love sport and I love, you know, like so people are actually paying me money to give my opinion about sumo on TV. Come on, man. Like this is definitely some matrixy kind of fantasy. I realize that it's not real, but I don't care. I'm just, you know, I'm surfing it, loving the ride. So, you know, yeah, I don't need to relax. Yeah, what makes for good sumo commentating? That's different for everyone. So that's very much a personal taste and flavor. You know, it's like asking someone what's a good hamburger. You know, everyone has got a, a different taste. So I I have fun with it. It's entertainment at the end of the day. So I mix in a lot of 
pop culture references, you know, I think I put 22 Public Enemy song titles into one two hour broadcast and, and only about three people caught it. Um, <laughs> so it's fun, you know, you put out stuff for different people, as long as you're doing the job and describing what's happening. And I mean, each bout is a couple of seconds and then you got four minutes of essentially dead air between mm-hmm. the next one. So there are people obviously who would like rather you just shut up entirely and just listen. They want to listen to the thing. But that's not how sports media works. And I mean, they're free to mute it if they want to. But some commentators keep it very dry, keep it very factual. Some it's it's more of a it's like painters or anything. You know, it's basically, you know, how you approach it is your as long as you're hitting your marks and getting the right information out there, the way you do it then is more just your own individualistic style. So um I would be the type maybe who would create people who love and hate what I do, you know, so. Um, we love what you do. Hey, have you ever seen Endo Smile? I mean, yes. I've seen it. Okay. Yes, yes, okay. yes. But I signed an NDA, so I'm not allowed to say what happened. <laughs> so when you're in the booth, um, mm. is there any food allowed or it's like, there's like, Murray, stop bringing your hard boiled eggs in here. Like no one wants to smell that in here. Like, what do you do in a booth with somebody else I mean, there's not rules about it, but having food, like you don't want like (laughs) several million people hearing you chewing, you know, I made the mistake of bringing in fizzy water a couple of times at the beginning, you know, and then you're like, you're drinking that and you're like, where's the off switch on the mic, you know, you don't want to be burping right into the screen. Um, No, just usually just just some drink there, water, you know, because you can get hot in the booth and get hot and heavy in the booth. Um, (laughs) What if somebody farts in the booth? Like if it's loud. What if? What if? <laughs> that's that's never happened. That's never happened. I'd have to think about what would happen in that situation. Oh man. It, it's a free fart zone back there. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you get along with the best? No, I get along with all of them. Regards like Murray, Murray Ross and Hero. I mean, they've been involved in sumo broadcasting you know, for like 25 years or more longer, like since the late nineties even. And I mean, they've seen it all and they've done it all, you know? So I came in in 2012, maybe to NHK's live broadcasts. So, I mean, they were all veterans who had done everything you could imagine at that stage. So, so it was all easy for me, basically slotting in alongside all of those guys. And Raja obviously is a bit newer, but um Roger as well he prepares I mean he knows his stuff so you know and he's taken the role on the Grand Sumo previews as uh, the punching bag for the various Rikishi so I mean how could you not love that <laughs> we do we love it every time yes okay speaking of preparation what kind do you do I am DV for movie quotes I guess um <laughs> What do I do? So it's been, I mean, it's been a year and a half since I was on air in broadcasting live. So it's, it's kind of forget. So when you're commentating on live sports, you know, you're going to have to follow the action and commentate on it. But you know the lineup of the day and who's facing each other. So the main thing basically for me is what's the current overall situation? So I tend to watch bouts between the rickshaw or fight. So I say if Hakuho was up against Terunofuji on a particular day, I would go back through all the fights that they've had especially over the last year. And I would watch the entire things like from start to finish. So if there was a lot of Mata, um, how the tactics had changed between them. So if, if one guy was winning a lot of fights in a certain way, and then the other guy changed something up, um, see if there was any particular stories. Obviously there's a lot of background 
you know, between every fight, especially. Yeah. But play-by-play commentator is the person who's sketching the outline of what's going on and providing the details. And the color commentator is literally the person who's coming in and coloring it in. Like, that's where the name comes from. You're providing color and entertainment and background. So the color commentator's job is essentially to fill in the picture for the people listening at home. So the play-by-play person can tell you what's happening on the screen and can describe the action and explain the action as it's happening. And then my job is, what's the background of the fight? Did somebody... So, for example, Henry Miller, Sentoru. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a story about him years ago when he was doing mixed martial arts and he was fighting a guy. But the background to that story is 15 years earlier when they were both rikishi. The other guy had hinkered him or sidestepped him at the touchy eye and Henry went off the dojo, I think it was, or fell down and tore his bicep and ended up five years in the lower divisions. So, and he'd never met that guy again. And then he'd like most of his career, he'd spent in the unpaid ranks because he got injured. The guy sidestepped him at the fight. I mean, that's sumo and the stuff like that happens. But, you know, if you're an athlete, obviously you hold on to that. And then 15 years later, they're meeting in the ring in a different sport. And, you know, Henry knocked him down three times and knocked him out in the first round. So it was like he was waiting 15 years for that revenge. So the background, the stuff like that, or if they were kids, like say Goedo and Tochiozan, like they were rivals from the age of four. Takakesho and Onosho, all the fights that they fought as junior high school students, like that, like they were neck and neck. The thing for me was I thought Onosho would be the one who would push on, but it was actually ended up being Takakesho. Obviously, injuries wrecked Onosho's chances, but those two were very similar, like round, small early guys you know two cannonballs crashing into each other and they were like that all the way junior high school high school you know all the way up so there's a mountain of backstory between them so it's just stuff like that finding that and uh then just having other things if there's something topical to talk about or some news but like like i say i tend to throw in a lot of other references and things because the, the weird thing about sumo is your audience is a very mixed audience if you're a commentator on a football match soccer, football, baseball, 99% of your people are you know, very familiar with the teams and the players and the history of the game. But if you're commentating on sumo on NHK, you're going to have people like yourselves who know, you know intimate details of Rikishi, and then you're going to have pe- a huge amount of your audience going to be tuning in for the first time and have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you have to cater to both audiences. So there's a little bit of over-explaining going on and a little bit of overuse of English terms. Like, so maybe Hiro will say like Gyoji referee or something like that. So people deal with this in different ways, but you always have to be mindful. It's the same in Japan times. You always have to be mindful of you're dealing with a, a very diverse audience, people who know a lot, people who don't know anything, people who may be a little bit familiar with the sport. So you can't alienate either section. Like you can't just dumb it down and explain everything because then it'll be boring to the long-term fans, but you can't keep it really technical because then the people who are tuning in for the first time won't have any idea what's happening. But because obviously new fans are the lifeblood, right? So you want to grow your audience and you want people to come back. So just like that, there's a lot going on and a lot you have to think about. And then if you're like me as well, you're just like seeing how much you can get away with in each podcast without getting fired as well. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there have been times where like, yeah, that might be the last one for me now. Let's see if I'm going to get the producer. It gives me the evil eye on the way out the door. You know, but thankfully, <laughs> well, still I'm here. glad you're still there. Okay, so one tiny question. When you were fighting, was your Shikona just John Gunning? 
or so do you have a real amateur sumo doesn't use shikona that's only pro okay so then yeah. surely you, you made one up for yourself right. that's my question well i used to be on like the sumo forum and stuff like that i used to use nishi no shima which is west island and but i actually there was a tournament an amateur tournament in tokyo i mean 15 years ago and there was a czech a guy from the czech republic called peter he was studying at tokyo university and he was part of the sumo team there and he entered me in that tournament using the shikona so like everyone else in the tournament like they were i didn't know he'd done it so everyone else in this like this is an amateur tournament like college students from around japan so everyone else you have like toru sasaki and you know you have rin taro you know sato and peter matus and then nishi no shima and then everyone thought i was the most pretentious ridiculous and like i was stepping up onto the ring and i was like the fuck and i looked over and he's just like ah and just like everyone's looking at me like who does this guy think he is you know and of course i lost immediately and then it made me look even worse you know he's up there like you know why does why doesn't he have a top knot and you know like skibito or something like that like you know pretentious in the extreme so oh, thanks God. peter for that you know that made my day what is it nishinoshima nishinoshima i used to use that Nishino name Nishinoshima. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Tochinoshin. He seems yes. like a very hot-headed guy. Is he? No, he's lovely. He's really ah. nice. Yeah, Tochinoshin is one of the nicest guys you can meet. He's really well, that, fun. That's kind of one of my yeah. questions is like, who has that? Who has that? <laughs> that it thing? No, that it thing. They, like in the ring, they're like, ooh, fire. But then the second they leave, they're like, like the biggest teddy bear who's got the biggest game in the ring and the opposite of it out of the ring uh there's i like maybe terno fuji i guess he's a little bit like that you know mm -hmm. austin arashi used to be like that as well um yeah some guys just switch it on you know it's like um my favorite rikishi of all time was yokozuna wakanohana the first one mm -hmm. uh takanohana's uncle he was known as the dojo no oni demon of the dojo yeah demon of the ring so it was he was notoriously like that you know like as soon as he stepped into the ring it was like personality switched and it was just like out to kill the guys you know but once he was outside it was just a regular person so yeah but i mean they're professional athletes so a lot of them are like that they work at that too you know you see guys who look at the skibito down the hanamichi like the reason they have the routines is for that very purpose you know it's to put themselves in that zone or mental mindset where they're completely focused so you get all kinds of things akebono used to stare up at the ceiling and roll the eyes to the back of his head because uh i think it was in the book of his somebody said that at the time they said what was it it activated the alpha b waves or something as opposed to c waves i think it was just like you know pseudoscientific nonsense but um it worked like you know it, it put him in the zone so like you know he thought it was like changing the brain waves chemistry or something like that. Do you think Asa Shoryu and like Hoshoryu, do you think like every day Asa Shoryu is like texting him and he's like... Asa Shoryu is just like... I, Asa Shoryu is really funny. I get on well with Asa Shoryu, you know? So he's extremely intense, but like there's a little bit of tongue in cheek to a lot of it, you know? He can definitely blow his top for sure. Like when he gets angry, he gets really angry, but... You know, a lot of guys like that, if you give it back to them just as good as they get, you know, they kind of, they they like you more and they just, you know, roll with it. So on a personal level, I always got on well with Asashoryu and I liked him, you know. Um, I mean, he, as a Yokozuna, obviously he he didn't fit him with the ideal, the whole Hinkaku and all the rest of it. But uh, freed of the restrictions of sumo, he's a lot happier with himself and doing all the stuff that he's doing. So, you know.
That's okay. good. I was going to ask this related to sumo, but I want to open mm. it up and uh, allow you to answer it in relation to any sport. Um, mm. Your favorite like sports athlete interaction that you've had with someone. No, I can't. Oh man, you stumped me there now. I can't think of a, a particular thing. Just, you know, I've had a lot of fun with athletes over the years. So there's just too many to even find one at the moment, you know? Yeah. I guess the, it's not an interaction, but like the moment of getting somebody into Ozimo, it's a unique achievement. So it's, it, there's a certain high that you would get from that or like feeling of achievement that you wouldn't get anywhere else, you know? Oh, well, um, nice. I'd like to wrap up by just saying thank you for giving us like a, a slice of who you are as a yeah. person, but also well, there's only you. about three minutes of sumo content in this entire thing. So you're probably <laughs> having to, to the pick up, you know? But when we were talking about this before, no, we, we like actually that. were like that. We're like, I think people want to know who John Gunning is. And I don't think they do, to be honest with you now. I really <laughs> we'll don't. Think your lowest ranked podcast episode ever. <laughs> we did a, uh, a survey. It was her idea. And you were the number one requested. You put me on after Konishki, like a legendary Ozek. He was hanging out with like Princess Diana <laughs> and Michael Jackson. You know? Next week, next week, we've got a guy from the West of Ireland that nobody knows. But for real, you are such a delight to interview. And I know this is what you do. So from people who just have a sumo podcast, we thank you very oh, much. Oh, you guys are fantastic. You're so well prepared. You, I mean, we you know, have fun you, and we, we love we love the sport. And I have for a long, long time. And um, we found this wonderful a group of people that listen to us that are fans that are just as kooky and weird as we are, it seems. And um, they keep listening and people keep giving us awesome interviews. So it, it only helps Next us. time you move back to Japan, instead of being a friend of a Disney princess, maybe you can just, you know, become a sumo commentator. Why not? Yeah. Well, that's, like, you know, it's like I said, since Katrina left, there are no women's voices in sumo. You know, that's yeah. why your podcast you know, is extremely valuable. You know? Well, if you heard us commentating, you know, it'd be like, this one y'all i am so in love with this like, one i want to date him is he single i don't know but that was an incredible watanage but listen love. if i can get away with you know accusing guys of twerking in the ring i think you can get away of that you know oh poor rudin anyway um we want right. to thank you so so much wasn't that fun to chat with him yes like i said earlier <laughs> it's the only interview I've ever got through where afterwards I was like, oh my God, why is there mascara running underneath my eyes? Because I've laughed and cried so much. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Well, and the guy was so nice to sit with us over Zoom for as long as he did. He dropped a hint at the very end, which is in our full length interview, that he is going to be... Or he's working he's on. He's putting together a project, y'all. Yeah. And he didn't give us the details. He was a little cagey about it, but yeah. that's because but he it, had to keep it under wraps. Yes, it has something to do with streaming services and Sumo and America. Yeah. And if you want to listen to him describe it without giving it any specifics, <laughs> definitely go to our YouTube. <laughs> part six. It's in part six of that interview. Yeah. But he does the have... The idea of a, having more Sumo from John Gunning... In America. In America, just makes me the happiest. Yeah, so there's something on the horizon that he couldn't explain too specifically, but it's coming. It's coming. Well, anyway, that is our style of sumo here at Sumo Kaboom. That's right. You can find us on all the socials at Sumo Kaboom, YouTube at Sumo Kaboom. Thanks for supporting us. Thank you for everything, you guys. We love you. All right. Until next time. See y'all later. <laughs> he said it at the same time. See y'all later. Bye.